Well, do we trust him? Hallelujah. Well, just believe God with me this morning for the anointing because the anointing is what breaks the yoke, moves the burden, and the anointing is what brings understanding, enlightenment to our mind. The anointing is the manifest presence of the Holy Ghost, right? So if we don't have the anointing, then we need to just say kumbaya and go shake each other's hands and go eat a bite to, you know, and have a good social time. Because if the Holy Ghost isn't present, there is not freedom. There is not the manifest presence of the living God and his life and his joy and the things that are eternal. Hallelujah. We have to have the presence of the Spirit of God or we need to just forget it. But we do have the presence of the Spirit of God, right? Hallelujah. Amen. So, you know, there's a lot going on in this world and most of it is bad news. You know, I think there's a punctuation to that in yesterday's events. But we are not of those without hope this morning. And I know my sister's hope is in the Lord. Hallelujah this morning. And we might sit here from a soulless perspective and try to understand and wrap our mind around why something like that could happen. And in the end, it doesn't matter because it didn't take God by surprise. In the end, it does not remove God from the throne of her life. Hallelujah. I'll guarantee you I'm not saying anything that if she wasn't here, she would be saying right with me. Hallelujah. And so the bottom line is we give up our right to understand, folks. Because if we're going to tap the essence of the life of God that brings the eternal manifestations in our life, then it has to be without our understanding involved all the time. Because it will keep you from it. The natural mind is enmity. The natural mind is enmity. The natural mind will separate us from the resident power of God that's inside of you to bring up the manifestation of the hope that you have. Okay, well, praise the Lord. Let's don't get started yet. So just engage with me this morning by faith. Thank you, Holy Ghost, that your presence now is here. It's yes, it's amen. Your promises, oh God, are true. They are just. Your thoughts to us, oh God, are innumerable. And we just praise and thank you that you love us with such a great and manifold presence of your love because we're sealed with the Spirit of God, vacuum-packed, hallelujah. Thank you, oh God, that we're sealed with your Spirit. We just praise you and thank you for your goodness, for your mercy in Jesus that was manifested to us. And we extol him to the highest place this morning. We declare we submit our heart, we submit our mind and our body unto the word of God this morning. You will receive, O soul. You will be in subjection to the spirit this morning. We will receive the life of the living God by the word, his rhema word, hallelujah, this morning by the spirit of God. And I take authority over every distraction I take authority in the name of Jesus over every thought in my mind that would exalt itself against that knowledge. And I declare you cast down. And I invite you, brothers and sisters, to do the same. Cast down any thought, anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ and allow that knowledge to take preeminence. And we do that, Father, unto your glory. Glorify yourself, Father. Glorify yourself through us and what we do here today. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's been a little while since I've been up here. And I'm glad to be back, praise the Lord. It was not of any reason except for just, you know, I, I uh, most of y'all that know me, have spent much time with me, know that what you see is what you get. <laughs> I don't say anything different outside of church than what I say up here, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's not to my glory, but I just, you know, the bottom line is my, my utmost prayer is that I'm on the side of truth all the time. That's what I want to be. Don't you want to be there? And you know, sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? It hurts the pride in particular. Talking about the vanity of reason, that's pride. You know, it doesn't matter how you move in the things of God, the gifts that God gave you. You are what you are by the grace of God. If we take grace of God out of the picture, you're done. If someone like Paul, the apostle Paul, could make such a statement whenever we see that he was the pen, the pen of which wrote most of the New Testament that we use today, manifold revelation, had a revelation to the place that he literally had a demonic assignment sent to him in order to beat him down, beat him back, called the thorn in the flesh. There's a lot of religious and dead, dead things that have been said about that, but just to, quite simply, Paul reached a place to where he had a personal assignment to buffet him. Why? Because of revelation. But yet, you know, when Paul gets down to it, he says, I count it all, everything that I could do in the natural from a reasoning perspective, everything that I could do to apply myself to earn a part with God, I count it all but dung. And that this morning means a big pile of poo in today's vernacular. And if Paul says that, and he says, for the sake of one thing, knowing Christ. I'm telling you folks, he's saying that to religious leaders. He's saying that to people that at one point in time he spent time with in hours and hours and hours of disciplined reading of the scripture, the Torah, and applying himself unto the law to the degree that literally he did not miss a jot or tittle, at least from man's perspective. He said, in accordance to the law, I was a Pharisee. That means that he hadn't, he hadn't as far as what man had written down on a page, hadn't disobeyed it from his, his concept. You know, but he said, I count all that dung. For the sake of knowing Christ. Is there anybody here this morning that would like to just count everything about their life that outside of God as a big pile of dung? Because it doesn't really matter. If God's not involved, there's not eternity in what you're doing. Oh, come on this morning. Am I in a Presbyterian church? And I love my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, but come on. I want some people that are hooked up this morning and that will affirm the word and truth of God this morning. Not because I'm saying it, but because I would yield my member unto the gift and the flow of the Holy Ghost inside of me. Not to my glory, but to the glory of the living God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you this morning that it is, I am what I am by the grace of God. You are what you are by the grace of God. And if you strip that away, we're nothing. But because of him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's why we're here this morning. We're here to hear about and to go on. And what I started to say was, as a minister, so let me finish that thought out. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
in the flesh, I'd, I'd rather go home and go to bed. I'll just be completely frank with you. As a minister, I think a lot of people look, for, look at people, particularly front of house ministers, and you put something upon them that's not fair. Pastor CJ, me, Cornell, Todd, because you see us week in, week out in leadership positions, front of house ministry. The reality of it is we're just as much men as you are. The reality of it is we face the same temptations. We face the same weaknesses. We face the same potential to fall like you, as Jesus did too, but was without sin. I'm with sin. That's the difference between me and my master. Jesus was able to do it and not sin. But I sin every day, folks. Is that going to come as a shock to you? If it does, then you are unfairly putting something on me that doesn't belong, and I don't receive it. Because I am what I am by the grace of God. And I tell you, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. We are talking about the gospel. We started a gospel series several weeks ago. Cornell uh, got to minister the first two weeks on that because of some issues that took place there in the Ellis household that he had to attend to. So CJ didn't get to give his part. But we felt like we have a, we take a minister's little retreat for a couple days. And we go out and we seek the Lord about what God wants us to, to uh, spend a particular season on in emphasis. And, you know, we sit around and, and uh, we're, you know, we eat good food and we go out to Lake Coral Blackwell where it's real pretty and we're out in the middle of just sitting in the cabin and enjoying a little bit of nature and enjoying the fellowship of the Spirit with each other and allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And here's what we came to for the next season, the gospel. The gospel. You know, and a lot of people would look at that and think, my goodness, that's, that's the foundation of things. I mean, why would we go back to the foundation exactly? I'm, I, we're going to get into why we're going back to the foundation. And let me tell you that as we were just ministering, I mean, we get together and it's amazing. We need to learn how to record things whenever folks get together. Bible says we're two or more get together. There I am in the midst. Well, you know what? We need to take that. Do we take that serious or not? I know we do because we experience it all the time. Man, alive. So we got together and the spirit, we just began to move and the flow came. And here's the word that came. I got the word epic. E-P-O-C-H. How many of y'all ever heard that term? Epic. And it came very clearly. A lot of times, I just get single words. And, and man, all, if I'll yield myself to it, it manifests into a huge amount of stuff, <laughs> you know? And uh, so we get this word, and I, I said, well, guys, I, this is what I feel. And so I threw it out there, and, man, it was amazing. It was amazing what the Spirit of God brought forth among our three parts in that and what, what the Spirit was able to bless But you know, when it came right down to it, I had to go back to Google, put in the word epic because I knew it had to do with era or a time or a season. But I didn't really know 100% what it was talking about back and listen to what it says. It's a period of time in history or a person's life, typically one marked by notable events. I think you're gonna see where we're going. A period of time in someone's life, or I'm going to say in the life of New Covenant Fellowship, because that's what it applied to. 
I felt like the word came that we are moving into a new epic for this church. Amen, I got one agreement. A period of time that would be characterized by notable events, folks. And I tell you, it just blew up from there. Cornell went off into something. CJ went off into something. And before we knew it, just within a matter of minutes, we knew exactly what we're to spend our season in focus on. And that is the good news. And I want to tell you why that's the case. I'm just going to go ahead and share the golden text. Here it is. It's Romans 1.16. You might as well go ahead and underline it in your Bible. If you don't already have it underlined, you can mark it in your electronic Bibles, your iPads and other electronic devices. Put a bookmark on it. Romans 1.16. Listen to what it says. And Kylie, if you wouldn't mind putting that up, I'm going to put some pressure on Kylie to kind of flow with me this morning. So if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, that's okay. Romans 1.16. I want you to listen to what Paul says. And again, you, need to, you, you really need to understand Paul's history. You need to have a backstop, a backstory on who Paul was to really understand and get even more out of what he's bringing forth here by the Spirit of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's what we're talking about. It's what we're going to spend the next series of, of weeks on. Because it is God's power. Everyone say that. God's power. Let's say it again. God's power. Is there anybody this morning that would like to associate with the power of God? Would like to have demonstration and manifestation of the power of God on your behalf? Is there anybody that would like to know the power of God? What is it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so we decided and felt like the Holy Ghost was like, it's time to get back to the basics of what the kingdom message is all about. It's about good news, folks. And the good news is this, that the power of God to transform your life isn't dependent on your ability to do one single thing. It's dependent only upon his grace because of his mercy that he's had on us through Jesus. And if you'll just relate and receive that, it will begin a journey, folks, that will transform your world and the world of others around you. Hallelujah. So we're talking about the gospel. So now let me go back to the word that God gave me. And I began writing this down. And it just started flowing, flowing out of me. And I had to really kind of come to the place I shut it off because we could probably be here all morning going through what the Holy Spirit was bringing. But would you just indulge this morning what I believe to be an, an utterance that the Holy Ghost gave me, Okay about this, about what we're moving into, this distinctive period. Think, think as I'm reading this out, what we're talking about, we're talking about the good news. We're talking about the power of the good news unto us. We're talking about moving as a church into the next epic that God has for us, into that time period that will be characterized by distinct happenings, by things that we'll look at and go, that was a wonderful period in the church. 
Amen. Listen to what the word of God came to me saying. We're moving into a time of designated manifestation. That is the demonstration of the power of God's redemptive work, the power of the gospel. It's time that we move past the soul level of our experience with God and his kingdom. It's time to move on from the limitations of understanding and cast our nets at the word of God by faith. And the word of God bids us come, come into my realm. It's time that you work out the reality of my kingdom in the life and the lives of others. My kingdom is truly at hand. It's within reach all times. But my kingdom is one of spirit. So serve by spirit. My kingdom's rule is one of mercy through grace. Know that I delight in mercy and you, my lovely ones, are the objects of this pleasure. I know the thoughts I have for you. They are innumerable. The plans, the purpose for your life are known to me, but do you know them? They are truly only known by way of the Spirit. Move past your soul, past the flesh, and walk the steps I've ordered from the foundation of the world. How lovely are the feet of them that bring good news. I tell you what, that just shakes my spirit. That is a word of God to us, folks, if you'll receive it. It just shakes my spirit. And it's so interesting how it just ended in the reference unto those that would bring good news. Folks, those are the feet of every person sitting in this building and the body of Christ in general. Because we have a living hope. And this hope is not to be something that we and are for and no more experience. But it's to be something that we work out in a discipling action. Not that we go out to evangelize the world to get them saved for fire insurance, but that we make disciples, folks. Jesus' word and his great commission was not go into all the world and convert every soul to fire insurance. Jesus' word was to go into all the world and make disciples. I think that we've gotten off the mark even in that simple edict of Jesus Because when it comes right down to it, it's not the number of people that just accept Jesus that makes the difference in manifesting the kingdom in this world. It's the number of people who actually have their lives discipled after the kingdom that manifested in this world. Well, somebody agrees with it. So let me give you the inspiration for this series. I got spit going all over the place. And I'm sorry for that, but it's just the way it goes. (laughs) Number one, the inspiration for this series. This is just what my heart brings forth, okay? And I know Pastor CJ and Cornell identify with this. I stand with them and what we're doing here. Number one, it's time to move past the precedent and prime the power. It's time to move past the precedent and prime the power 
How many of you all good old-fashioned Oklahoma rednecks like me are out here in the congregation? How many? Come on now. Jim, you raise up your hand. Tony, come on. I'll start calling you out. How many of y'all ever primed a pump? You ever primed a pump, Jim? Come on, Charlie. You too? You, you don't necessarily have a flow, but you have the potential to bring forth a flow in a pump. But sometimes you've got to put something in it to get it to prime, right? And pick up that and manifest that potential. I feel like the Spirit of God for inspiration in this series is saying that we've got to move past the precedent in order to get to the place that we can actuate this power in our lives, in the life of this church. Well, what is the precedent? A precedent is a mark that you've attained that you've never gone beyond. Oh, come on now. We got to get past this mark that we've attained to that we're happy with. That's, that's what it comes down to. A lot of times it's just because our good old soul is warm and fuzzy with that mark. And it's like, well, we've been here. I like this mark. I really don't need to see anything different because this feels good. This is comfortable because it's a matter of experience. It's not a matter of newness that is scary. We got to move past the precedent to prime the power. If we want to do what is necessary to actuate the flow of the power of this word, we've got to be willing to take the steps that will be scary. We've got to be willing to step out. We've got to be willing to prime the power. We've got to be willing to go blow past that precedent, be thrown beyond the mark. You know, I don't know of any Olympic athlete that is happy with their performance. Any athlete for that matter. If you talk to anyone that excels in their particular discipline athletically, I'll promise you that you'll never hear them say, I'm good enough. Because with that attitude, you'll eventually reach a place to where you will be beaten. Because there's someone out there that is going to, that doesn't have that attitude that's going to be thrown beyond the mark. Oh, come on now. That's what I'm talking about. The second thing for inspiration in this series, it's time to tear down the religious structures, the edifice from the gospel. We've built a lot of things on the gospel and around the gospel, and it looks pretty. It seems awesome. It seems like the thing that needed that we needed to add to the message of Christ. But when it comes right down to it, it's done harm, then it's done good. It's time that we tear down the religious edifice, the religious structures from the gospel, and let its true power build the kingdom. The true power of the good news, folks, it's got power enough in itself. We don't add anything to it. The third thing is, it's time to simplify. It's time to simplify. It's time to simplify. Why are we going back to the gospel message? It's time to simplify. It's time to come back, to snap back to the reality of that which Christ took hold of for us. It's time for us to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of for us. It's time for us because we're not manifesting it, folks. We're not seeing the manifestation of the power of gospel like we should be seeing. So what do we need to do? We need to go back. We need to figure out why. And don't figure it out from the soulless perspective. Let's let the Holy Ghost lead us in the process and be willing to make that turn and then be willing to move on past the precedent. 
Man, we've come a long way, folks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shaming. I'm not discounting what's happened from a perspective of the church and how we've grown. Oh, it's been amazing. It's been wonderful. But, folks, there's that, let's don't let that be the mark that we always attain. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I've already preached myself happy right there. Listen to this summary scripture. I think this just really captures every essence of these inspirational points for this series. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4. Kylie, would you please put that up? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is a wonderful scripture. I think it just it embodies what we're talking about here. Again, let me give you a little bit of backstory here. Here's Paul going to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was where they were Greek. That was a part of, of the Greek culture. These are people that were educated. They were learned in the, in the natural realm. There were people that were philosophers. There were people that studied, that did a lot to expound upon the natural intellectual energies of man. And here Paul came, sent one. He was the apostle. Apostle just means sent one. He was sent to them. He goes to the church. He writes to the church. He interacts with the church there at Corinth. And listen to what he says. And Paul was a smart guy too. Don't get me wrong. Oh my goodness. Paul was an intelligent person. An intelligent person. Very much applied to knowledge. But listen to what he says. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you. And let me tell you what the testimony of God is in case you don't get that. It's just a gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says, so keep that in mind. He says, when I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with the brilliance of speech or wisdom. Why is that? Because that's what they focused on. How good were you philosophically? How could you make your case from a natural perspective? Intellectually, how sharp were you? Let me see that. Demonstrate your point by your intellectual prowess. And he's telling the brothers, I didn't come to you like that. And in fact, it's, and let me tell you, it's not because Paul couldn't have. It's that he chose not to because listen to what he says, for I didn't think it was a good idea to do so. He said, I didn't think it was a good idea. Why? Because I felt like the only thing I needed to do was know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I got to tell you right now, that's the gospel message. He, he just stripped it back down. And I'm telling you, if Paul, the revelation, I mean, guru, as far as I'm concerned, strips it back down to this, I think there's something for us to learn and adapt to here. He strips it back down and he says, I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling I did. I, asked, I, I added the word I did, but that's what he was saying. I came to you in much fear and trembling. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's, it's thus saith Greg, but I think here Paul is an exceedingly intellectual person having to submit the pride of his intellect, having to submit the way that he would like to go because I guarantee you Paul could argue. He had done it many times in the past before, you know, as Saul but here Paul is, I come in much trembling, I come in fear. Why? Because he knows he's stripped down, he's stripping himself down to nothing except the essence of the power of the gospel message. And you know what? Our souls are scared to give up that, that strength, that ability, that warm fuzzy of my abilities. 
You know, it's a soul, it's a scary thing to the soul. Come on now. It's not like, oh, I walk in power. It's like, no, you walk in humility and knowing that if the grace of God doesn't go with you, like the patriarch of old said, I ain't going if you ain't going with us. Forget it. Knowing that if you don't have the anointing, you're going to get carved to pieces like, like a, it's, you're getting thrown to wolves. And that's what Paul tells him. I think he's, he's just humbling the, the reality here to him and said, I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Verse 4, my speech and my proclamation, though, were not with persuasive words of wisdom. In other words, the wisdom of man here. It's another translation, the persuasive words of man's wisdom. But how did they come? How did the words come? They came with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, capital S, so that your faith might not be based in the wisdom of man, but in the power of the living God. That's the Greg translation. But on God's power, and to me, folks, that's what we just talked about, the inspiration for this series We want to get to the place that let's make an adjustment that anything that we've done to add to this that might detract and might contain and might limit and might set the precedent for the manifestation of the power of the kingdom's message that is the gospel. We need to allow that to go, folks. Let's make a decision today that we're going to allow the gospel message to become to us a new message. Amen, brother. That's right. We're going to allow it. Let's be stirred up. Let's stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. Let's remember the hope to which we've been called this morning. Let's remember him that called us there. Let's remember how we accepted that with no strength of our own. Oh, man. I could just stop and allow my spirit to just meditate on that. Because it will strengthen you. It will strengthen you. So we need to allow ourselves to move to a place that we're like Paul here to the Corinthian church. Everywhere we go, it's not what we have to say, folks. It's the power and demonstration. It's the power and demonstration. It's the power and demonstration of the living God in what we do. So now let's move on. You know, there there are four gospels in the Bible. Everybody knows that, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know, that's what it says. A lot of Bibles will say the gospel according to. So I'm going to give you the gospel according to Greg. Well, I have just as much right as John does to testify. I mean, yeah, he got to put his head on Jesus' breast. You know, what's up with that? That doesn't make him any more uh, uh, favored than me. Oh, come on this morning. And in fact, the Bible says more blessed are those that believe and haven't seen. So I'm even more blessed than John. Ha! I, I believe that. I truly do. My soul can't wrap myself around that, but my heart, I mean, it does. My heart goes with that truth. Hallelujah. I'm more blessed than you, John. Yeah, you're awesome, John. I appreciate what you've done, but brother. Hallelujah. So the gospel according to Greg, will y'all indulge this morning this, okay? This is not the end all be all, folks. Come on, this is just a perspective that I feel like the Holy Spirit brought to me this morning. That's it. That's it. 
because it's all going to be based in Scripture. Y'all ready to turn through some Scriptures? Y'all know me. That's just the way it's going to be. If we can't do the Scripture, then we don't need to do, as far as I'm concerned, because we can always be safe staying in the Scripture. Amen. Okay, so golden text again, Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Man, there is so much there to talk about. You know, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that. I'm gonna iterate some things about the gospel as we go through this. But listen, if you really look at the original language, and let me tell you, folks, there is so much wonderfully spirit-inspired teaching out there, and I've borrowed some things from some people. I, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Spirit of God's brought it through other people that, are, that yield their members into, the, into his utterance, and so I give credit to where credit's due. But I did bring a couple of points from this, uh, you know, from a, a particular person that I have a lot of, of tr- trust and faith in, in, in the integrity of the word that he brings And this is what he said, and I thought it was so awesome. It struck me. It struck me because I I, I did not know this. And if you look at the word gospel here, and you just go to the immediate rendering from the original language, it means good news. That's how come we say that all the time. Well, how do you say gospel is good news? Because if you look at the Greek, that's the word it came from, the original language, it just means good news. When you see it translated, but if you really look at the contextual if you look at the contextual interpretation, it really means this, too good to be true news. So when you get down to the context of how this word is used, because it's not used until you see this in the New Testament, and when you see it, it's really even not used that many times, and Paul is the one that uses it a lot. Contextually, it really means when you see him say the word gospel, it means too good to be true. So think about that. Has anything in your life ever seemed too good to be true? You know, the fact that that there's a potential if you garner a, a subscription to a magazine, you might get $10 million in the sweepstakes. That's too good to be true. And it is. Because the probability will say you got a greater chance to get struck by lightning than win that thing. Well, that's the truth. And uh, <laughs> that's definitely too good to be true. It, I mean, to, to just go subscribe to a magazine and get $10 million, that's too good to be true, right? Yeah. And usually when you see that too good to be true, what does it mean to you? Impossible. Impossible. So when you see and hear this word gospel, it really means an impossibility to the religious mind. That's where we got to go. Because the context of this being too good to be true is as it concerns the religious mindset. We're going to get into why this is the case. Something that was unbelievable and walked the line actually of heresy to be proclaimed by a teacher of that day to say gospel. For Paul, someone who had had been reared and had trained and had applied himself to the degree that he had, to the Mosaic law, to the Pharisaical law at that time, because they added a lot to it. And for him to say that I'm a Pharisee when it comes to upholding the law, in other words, he upheld everything that he could see from the written perspective, the ordinance on the page, the letter that kills, in other words, like he says later on in one of the 
one of his letters. He applied himself to that, to that degree. But for him to come to a place that he would use the word gospel would then put him in a place of, of a heretic as far as the Pharisees were concerned. Because he's talking about something that really is an impossibility. And for him to promote this and to promote this and actually get to the place to where he strips everything down except that message when he comes to churches is, it was heresy. And we, you don't believe me? He got, folks, he got whipped. I don't know how many different times. He got run out of town. I don't know how many different times. He got forbade to come into a town. I don't know how many times. He got taken out and stoned to death multiple times. Oh, come on now. It's in the scripture, my Bible and yours. I don't know about you, but I haven't been whipped multiple times. I haven't been run out of town because of what I'm preaching. I haven't been to a place to where I'd literally been stoned and left for dead. Have you? So I got to tell you, I think he must have been preaching some stuff that was really hitting a dissonant chord with the religious right at that time. Huh? Do you see that? Too good to be true is why. Because he was preaching heresy from their their, uh, uh, frame of mind. So it was something the gospel really meant when you saw that word, it really means something that's unbelievable and walk the line of heresy to be proclaimed by teacher that day. And I think that's the reason why this thus saith Greg, but when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, when he uses that word ashamed, why would you even from our perspective, you know, hindsight's 2020 folks, we can look back and go, oh my goodness, the gospel is awesome. And it means so much to us, but back in the day, it did not. It was heresy, folks, for as far as the religious people were concerned. But here Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why would he have to use that term ashamed unless he was preaching something that people looked upon with shame from a religious perspective? And here Paul says, I ain't ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because it's the power. Of God unto salvation. Okay, so gospel in a word, in a word. If we want to sum up gospel, yeah, it means good news. Too good to be true news. But really in a word, if you want to get right down to the essence of the gospel, I can use one word to describe what it represents. It represents redemption. Redemption. What is the gospel message? What is the good news? I mean, it's not enough to just go good news, good news, good news, good news. Well, it's like, okay, you got good news. What is it? Let me give it to you. The good news is redemption. The story of redemption, hallelujah. Not just the story, my goodness, that's terrible. The the absolute truth of redemption for everyone that would believe. So that's what we're going to move into. I need to give you a Cliff's Notes. How many of y'all know what Cliff's Notes are? You might remember what Cliff's Notes are? How many of y'all got through college on Cliff's Notes? There's a few hands. Hey, Cliff Notes is just a shortened, brief version of something that would normally take a long time to explain. You know, a lot of points, a lot of things to talk about. Let me give you the Cliff Notes of redemption because, oh my goodness, we could spend a long time talking about the the redemptive work of God. And it deserves that. But let me just give you the Cliff Notes because I only have today, right? I only have today to talk to you about this because each one of us we're going to basically give our gospel according to's pastor cj was i was and and cornell so this is my opportunity to do that first one 
Here it is, story of redemption. I'm gonna give you some points, okay? First point, man was created for relationship with the living God. Boom, let's set the stage. First point of the redemptive story, man was created for relationship. And in fact, let me just go on because we need to hear some good news this morning, folks. Let me just give you a bunch of, I've laced this whole thing with good news by the spirit of God. I'm gonna just stop and have a Selah moment here for a little bit on this, this point. Is that okay? Did you know, and I've preached it up here many times before, and I will preach it until the last breath I draw, because it's absolutely the truth. We are the crown jewel of God's creation. Amen. That's right, Nicole, amen. We are the crown jewel of God's creation. We are the very reason why, folks, he spun this whole thing into motion that we call time and we call this earth and the whole cosmos that it takes to keep it. We are the centrality of God's focus. There's so much in the, in the human intellectual perspective that would detract from that and tell you the opposite. Amen. I'm telling you this morning, by the Spirit of God, you're the crown jewel. You're the apple of God's eye. Always have been, always will be. If you don't believe me, let's just take God's word for it and let's take what he did in the concept of making us. Because I don't know about you, but Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27 talks about how he said, let us make man in our image. He didn't say, let us make the blue whale in our image. Let us make the gorilla in our image. Let us make this big sequoia tree in our image. He said, let us make... That's right. I don't know about you, but there's nothing in the Bible you'd have to add to it to say anything different. We're the only thing created in the image of God. That alone, we could just stop right there and say it's settled. I think it's settled because if we're made in the image of God, then we have to be the pinnacle of his creation. We are. We don't have to stop there. Let's listen to what the spirit of God through the through David said in Psalm 139, 13 through 18, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Man, here is David just pouring out a reality of truth that God has ministered to him to realize that he is the apple of God's eye, that God thinks more thoughts than he could count about him. How about Zephaniah chapter 3, 17, verse 17? And we have a couple songs that actually talk about this, and I love it. But listen to what it says. It says, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Now, this is the Father God speaking by inspiration through the prophet to the people. This is the word and message of the Father God to the people. And listen to what it says. He'll rejoice over thee with joy. And if you look at the original language of what rejoice over thee means, you know what it means? It means literally to dance, to skip, to leap, and spin around with joy. I don't know about you, but we need to stop and take a sailor moment and just imagine our God so excited about us, 
so in love and so desiring to spend time with us that he is out of that throne dancing and spinning and leaping, thinking about the potential for us to have that time with him. Oh my God, help. (laughs) But that's what the scripture says. He rejoices over you. I don't know about you, but it doesn't say anything about rejoicing over the blue whale, over the hippo, or the animals that are going extinct. That's a sorry thing. That's just a something that's terrible, but it's a direct manifestation of the fall of man and the entering of the law of sin and death that still affects creation to this day. But one day, one day they'll be redeemed as well. Because we'll arise, hallelujah, in our, our place of authority like we're supposed to. God will restore things, folks. The Bible says that. And it says that the very creation are looking for the revelation of the sons of God because they are laden down and burdened under that curse that we no longer have to be under because of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't redeem the creation. He redeemed us. See, that lets you know right there, I'm more important than all this. My goodness. I feel like a rabid dog up here with all this slobber going everywhere. So the second point, the first point is you are God's crown jewel. You're created by God for a relationship with him. And you can go over to, I think, Genesis chapter 2, and you can see where God comes down in the cool of the day, and he calls out to his, his created uh, pinnacle of his creation, the apple of his eye, like he had done so many times before, to have that personal fellowship relationship, to hug, to embrace. Yes, I know this is Greg's version of it, but this is what my heart just beats because I know that we are created in the image of God. We like to do that with the people we love. How much more does God want to do that with us? And he came down and hugged them and he fellowshiped them. He looked them in the eyes and just adored and adored and adored them, the moment spent with them. And that one moment now, after sin entered to him, he had to cry out, where are you, Adam? And you know, that cry is still going out today, folks. Where are you? I can hear it in my spirit, the Father's God's desire to be united unto you. And now that past Jesus, after the price has been paid, the sacrifice has been made for you to have that relationship, he is still to this day saying, where are you? That's the romance That's the passion of our creator, folks, for us. Where are you? I long to spend time with you. I long to be joined to you in fellowship, in relationship. Oh, my goodness. So then man disobeyed. That's the second point. We're created in the image of God, pinnacle of his creation, point number one. Point number two, man disobeyed and was separated from God. The fact that we are separated from him is spiritual death. We died spiritually. The law of sin and death entered the world and everything was subjected to it in the process. Poor creation, I feel bad for it. It was was subjected, why? Because God put us in a place of dominion and authority where we were supposed to tend and keep it and we turned that dominion over to Satan. We did, we forfeited it. I mean, Adam did, but we all did in Adam. We forfeited that. And so then creation came under the taskmaster of of the devil through the law of sin and death, subjected to it. 
And you can see that in Genesis 2.17, Romans 3.23. Third point, talking about the cliff notes of redemption and the reason for the gospel. God had a plan. God had a plan. So he, he had a relationship at one point in time. That relationship was lost because of sin, but God had a plan. Everybody say, but God had a plan. He did. He did, and if we look in the Scripture, we can see that that plan was actually crafted before the foundation of the world. It was actually in existence before we ever even fell in need of the plan. Now, you tell me, you tell me if God doesn't love us. Yeah, you tell me. That proves it out right there. We can stop and just spin and shout and dance around right there just on those three points. Because God had a plan. Hallelujah. And what was his plan? Let me just real quickly give it to you. He was, his plan was to reestablish the right of relationship through covenant. His plan was to reestablish that right of relationship through covenant. And so then what we see and what we have in our, in our hands is the precious 66 books of the gospel. The Old Testament, the New Testament. And you know what the, real, the word testament, and I've said this before, but I'm just going to bring your minds by way of remembrance. It really means covenant. The old covenant, the new covenant. And when you look at the context and what everything that is brought forth in terms of the stories of the Old Testament, the history of the nation, and then everything after Jesus up until the church age that we continue to live in today, folks, it's about covenant. It's about covenant. And what is covenant? What's the big deal about covenant? Well, that was the only way that God could reestablish connection with his people again is through a formal and legal ability called the covenant. And so we have the old covenant, which is chronicled in the Old Testament. We have the new covenant. It's chronicled in the New Testament. The Old Testament, we see the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. They were wonderful. They were very important because they established the right for God to bring forth a man, capital M, who would not fail. Why was it necessary? Because the covenants that he cut up to that point in time were fallible because we, we failed. You know, God never fails, folks. God never fails. If there's a failure in your life, it's not because of God. Can we settle that? God does not fail. So we had the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, and both of them were fallible. Why? Because there was a fallible person on the other side of God. I said, it's the truth. And we see the failures. But they were so important because why? Because they gave the right for God to, to be in amongst his people. At least that he couldn't come within them, but he could be with them through the things that were brought forth through the covenant. Most importantly, because of what happened with Abraham and Isaac's situation, it gave God the right of legal access to allow him to bring his Isaac to the world. His son of promise. His sacrificial lamb that would take away the sins of the world. So God had a plan to reestablish right of relationship to covenant. That's point number three. And of course, the New Testament. So I talked about the Old Testament. New Testament is about the new covenant. God establishes an eternal covenant with Jesus who as a man was perfect and would forever set the terms of relationship for all of mankind. And it's infallible. That covenant is infallible. Amen, because it was cut with Jesus as a man who, who did not fail. Perfect in every way, right? So point number four now, along the way, the law is given to show man the need for God's plan. Point number four, a story of redemption, as Greg sees it, Cliff's notes, 
Along the way, the law is given to show man the need for God's plan. The Mosaic Law, given in Exodus chapters 20 through 25, you can go back and read those if you want, just from a historical standpoint. Did you know that that law consisted of 365 negative commands and 248 positive ones for a total of 613 total commands? How many of us have difficult enough time just following one command? Husbands, how many of you all have been told something very explicitly and simply from your wife about something that she needs and you do not follow that? Oh, come on now, Charlie. Okay, so he says, I do follow it, but I just forget to follow it. (laughs) So, you know, you get right down to it. 613 commands. I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a weighty sum of legalism. And it's divided into three parts or sections, you know, and you can, you can look at these. It, there's a bunch of them that have to do with morality. There's a bunch of them that have to do with society and the things that you do, rules from that perspective. There's a bunch that have to do with ceremony. Okay, so three basic uh, uh, sections, if you will, of all these 613 commands given in the Mosaic Law by God. And, but why were they given, though? They weren't given because God expected you to keep them. Well, we're getting to the good news, folks. God did not give 613 commands because he knew that someone would be able to hold them fast. He gave them for one purpose, and that was to show man that he needed God. He needed something above himself to do what it took to be in relationship with him. It was given to show man that he could not achieve standing with God through his own works. That's why the law was given. It was given for one purpose, folks. It wasn't given to become a handwritten writing of ordinance for us to follow and that if we follow, we achieve standing with God. It was given to show us that you can't follow that and achieve standing with God because if you fail one little piece of that, you failed the whole thing. You have. You failed the whole thing and you're guilty of the whole law. Romans 3.20, listen to what it says. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. There it is. The law was given for one purpose, to show you that you, you're not, you're not going to make it because you're a sinner by nature. You're not going to make it. That's why the law was given, to show you. And, to bring, and it, what did it bring? It brought a consciousness of it. Oh, woe is me. I can't do anything right. It brought a consciousness of it. So the last point of the gospel, Jesus comes as a man and pays the price to reestablish relationship. Talking about the new covenant here. So what did he do? He came and he fulfilled the law as a man. The only man to do it, the only man that's necessary to do it. Because when he was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, folks, it's not that he came. It, that, that means so many things to me. Thus saith Greg. That means so many things to me when Jesus cried out, it is finished. It cried out, he cried out, it is finished for so many reasons. But let me tell you one principal reason why he cried out. He cried out, it is finished because he had come to the place that he finished with the law as it applied to man in bringing up context for him to have relationship with him. The law was finished. 
as it applied to us. Oh my goodness, and there's so many other things that it is finished means. We don't have time to preach on that. He fulfilled the law, Matthew 5, 17, John 19, 30. The second thing Jesus accomplished as he came and paid the price to reestablish relationship, the last point of, of, of what we're talking about here, the cliff's notes of redemption. We are redeemed by his sacrifice and our relationship to him is, to God is restored because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. John 3, 16 through 17. 1 Peter 1, 18 and Hebrews 9, 12. Good testimony right there. So let's move into the power of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of it. Well, let's move into what the power of the gospel really is. You know what the power of gospel really is? It's grace. It's grace. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the ability that the gospel enables you to become saved with. And that, that ability is outside of you. It's a gift of God. The power of the gospel is the divine power that God grants you as a gift. If you'll just believe and receive it and activate it by faith, folks, to do anything he's called you to do, but to spin the whole thing off, first of all, by you being identified and redeemed unto him by accepting Jesus. We're given that through grace. That's the power of the gospel. So the final, really, if you want to go ahead, I could take it to the final chapter of redemption. We went through five points, but really, we, I'm going to add a sixth point here. To the, and it's the, I call it the final chapter of the redemptive, the cliff notes of redemption here. The final chapter because, and it's a chapter that's not complete yet. It's still being written. Hallelujah. The final chapter of redemption is that the law of grace is now established and through it, Man's privilege to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And you know what? That, that privilege goes on and on and on. And it says that we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be 10,000. This is the way I look at it. Yet we're going to be years and years down the road in heaven and we're still going to be experiencing the manifestations of God's grace as he unveils and unfolds more and more of the, the grace that he really has, has given us. And it's going to be new revelation. It's going to be new points at which we fall down and cry out, holy, holy, as the created beings are doing right now as we sit here. That's scripture. That's not my interpretation. That's scripture straight out of the book. Listen to what Romans 5.17 says. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, talking about Adam, right? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Man, that's the gospel right there. By the grace of God, you receive the ability to rule, the ability to reign in this life by the grace of God and the gift of righteousness. That's one scripture that you need to commit to the memory of your heart. And you need to speak that over and over and over and over and over again. And when the circumstances come that try to put you in a place under their feet, you need to say, no, 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 no. I've received the gift of grace. I've received the gift of grace, hallelujah, that God ha has brought through his grace, the, the gift of righteousness. And I do rule and reign by one, Jesus Christ, because of that. 
<clears throat> Listen to what Romans 8, 2 through 4 says, and this is something to commit to memory. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And just as far as Greg is concerned, that just means that he went into the the house of sin and he whipped it on its own turf. He did. You know, there is nothing like the shame and humiliation of having an opponent come into your house and beating you down. And let me tell you what, the scripture goes on in another place that talks about how he made an open show of the enemies of God. He led those in triumphal procession out from among their torturous task mastering. And it says he stripped the powers and authority. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's the, that's the thesis of how you, how you move in this grace. It is by the spirit, folks. It is by the spirit. It's not by your, by mental ascent. It's not by the soul and your intellectual ability to figure this out because that, that's where the realm of the law exists. Let's get over by faith and accept the fact that Jesus has done everything that's necessary for us to come to God. Can we do that this morning? Can we get to the place that we'll admit to ourselves that there's nothing more I can add to Jesus' sacrifice to make a difference for God to love me? Can we get to the place this morning that we can just by raw, simple faith and belief into that simple message that, yes, God, you did it all through Jesus. Amen. Can we do that? Because that's the gospel, folks, and that's the power of the gospel. Because anytime you do sin, you realize that the sin doesn't have an issue with your ability to have relationship with God. Because as far as God is concerned, he's already forgiven. And there's a potential for the forgiveness for any sin that you're going to commit. Not just the ones that have been committed. And yet, it's, if you don't believe me, folks, let's just look at Romans chapter 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that while you were at your most undeserving, most foul, most wretched state, when you were at the place that you deserved his judgment and deserved to be cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as he was concerned because you were separated from God, spiritually dead, while you're in that place is when God made the provision for you to come out of it. But it's only by his grace. You can't do anything to deserve it, folks. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, folks. My goodness, that song is just rolling to me right now. Are we going to snap ourselves back to the simplicity of that, the message of that song? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It doesn't matter what sin did at one point in time because it's gone now. Hallelujah. As far as the Father's concerned. So why too good to be true? And I'm going past when I normally would go, but I, if y'all indulge me for a couple more minutes. Why too good to be true? 
You know, the power for our life and relationship in God doesn't depend on our ability to accomplish it. That's how come it's too good to be true. Because everything about religion has to do with what you can do to earn that right. You see what I'm saying? And as far as the Pharisees, when they were looking at Paul as he was delivering the message of too good to be true, too good to be true, heretical message, heretic, heretic, it was because he was saying something that was counter to everything that their culture and generationally had been handed down to them. And that was up to that point, all they could see was we needed to do all these legalistic things in order to earn a right to God, to have that relationship But in actuality, now here comes Paul with the message of grace saying, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with your ability to to do every jot and tittle of the law. It has everything to do with the ability that God would enable you with if by faith you would receive the pure, simple message of the gospel. And that is this, that Jesus, his son, was sent as the heaven's Passover lamb who came down and took upon himself all the sins that you were ever going to commit who took upon himself all the punishment that you deserve because of those sins. And he paid it all once and for all. He entered before him in the holy place, offered up his blood, not that of bulls and goats, but the eternal blood that is a living thing that is still there and will be there for all of eternity, crying out that they deserve your love because of my sacrifice. Oh my goodness, it's just blowing through me this morning. The power, there's power. There's power in this message, folks. Because it's the, it's the raw reality of God's ability beyond your ability to accomplish what you can't do. Jesus paid it all. I'm going to just say one more thing, and then I'm going to close, okay? I have a lot of other notes here, but I'm just going to call it good. One more thing. Here it is. Folks, The reason this is the reason why the power of this gospel is null and void in our lives more times than not. Because we regard everything after the flesh before we regard the spirit. And what is the flesh about anyway? Weakness, failure. We regard the things of God after the flesh, folks. We even regard God after the flesh. Paul said, though we regarded Christ after the flesh, we can't do it any longer. In other words, though we we lived with him, we sat, we breathed the same air that he breathed, we ate with him, we watched him go to the bathroom. Oh, come on now. We saw him eat things and say, I like this, I don't like that. We saw him in, in, you know, deal with and buffet his own flesh amongst the things that they were doing as well, just like they were supposed to do. They regarded Jesus after the flesh because they lived with him after the flesh. But Paul said, just because we did, we can't do it no longer, folks, because it's different. Because if we do that, then what that does is it'll limit your, it'll limit your ability to receive. Why? Jesus in his own hometown could there do no mighty work. Why? Because they regarded him after the flesh. Oh, he's, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the son of a carpenter who's worked for the past 30 years in a carpenter shop, getting sweaty, smelling like B.O., having the, you know, his fingernails wore down to the, to the quick because he's working with his dad? This is Jesus? What is that? You're regarding him after the flesh. You're regarding him after the flesh. And that's what we do with the the principle of the gospel. We regard 
ourselves after the flesh. We look at the potential of what we can accomplish based on the fleshly limitations. Again, what do we have to do? Get rid of the precedent and prime the power. Let me just say it this way. Let's get rid of the perspective and regain a new one. So here's a, here it is. If you don't accept God's righteousness and you continue to want to grovel and move in your limited understanding and ability in order to try to work these things out in your life with your strength. Listen to Romans 10, 1 through 4 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, talking about the Jewish people, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God but not according to knowledge. See, here's Paul talking to, a, you know, he's talking to heathen people here. He's talking to the church in Rome. He's saying, I can sit here and testify to my brothers of whom I'm a part that you're really not. I mean, he could have said that, but it's obvious. And he says, I got to tell you, that, that you ain't going to find people that are more zealous for God. They have a desire to live, you know, for God and do things for him. Does that sound anything like maybe where some of the churches might be? Maybe where our souls are at? We are zealous. But is it after the knowledge of one thing, the gospel? Or is it after the knowledge of the way we understand and interpret things? So my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, this is Romans 10, 1 through 4, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. I'm going to tell you this morning, folks, if you continue to walk a path that that you mix in a part of your efforts in your relationship with God. In other other words, from a merit perspective, earning position, coming to the place that unless I can walk two weeks and read my Bible every single day and pray two hours a day, that I won't come to a place that I can walk in power with God or walk in a right perspective with God. I'm not telling you that those things are bad, folks, but if you're looking at those as a way for you to have relationship with God, then, folks, I've got to tell you, as far as your right standing is concerned spiritually, it's that, that's, that's wrong. You're not walking after the knowledge of the gospel. You're disregarding the power of the gospel, which was his grace. That got you into this whole thing to begin with. <laughs> Hallelujah. Started to say the mess, but that's not a mess. So I got to tell you this morning, if you don't submit to God's righteousness, you'll try to establish your own. That's what Paul's saying here. How many of us have done that? How many of us have done that? Listen to what it says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Would you stand this morning? You know, there's a song that I I really like a lot, and sometimes I just have to go back and just start singing it and listen to it. And you know, it's a song that says, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And you know, the simplicity of that message is one where the person that authored that song got to where, just like with the things of God that to, to do with, with your righteousness before him, you can build a lot of things around that from a mental perspective. And it become the focus of what's going on. 
And I like the simplicity of those words. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Because why? Because it's all about you. The heart of worship isn't about your abilities from a talent perspective. The heart of worship isn't about how, the, how good the sound really is. The heart of worship isn't really how on key and how many different scales you can run in one second with your voice. The heart of worship is about him. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And then I like what he says. I'm sorry for the thing that I've made it when it's all about you. How many of y'all know this song? And I got to tell you this morning, that's the way it is with the gospel message. You know, I'm coming back to the raw reality of the gospel. Why? Because it's all about him. It's all about the grace that he gives me to be able to do what he's called me to do. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've built around this message because it's all about you, Jesus. Same truth, same perspective. And so this morning, would you join with me? Maybe those, maybe it's just me, everyone. I'm coming back by the grace of God to the power of this message, to the power of the gospel. Would you, would you this morning do that? Do you, I mean, can you say this morning that you're in the same place that maybe I am with respect to this truth? That you need to, 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 to ask God to forgive you for what you've made it when it's really a simple thing and it's all about him. Father, we thank you this morning for the divine inspiration of the Holy Ghost to bring an understanding of this simple truth that is spiritually discerned. And that is, oh God, it's all about you. Everything that you have created, the reason why we're here, it's all about you. You desired relationship with us. You created us for that purpose. But the thing from your perspective is, is that you look at us and think about it's all about us. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? God, behold, as the, as the, the apostle Vol said, what manner of love, what manner of love you've given to us that we could be called your sons, your daughters. Oh, God, we're so grateful. We're so thankful, oh, God, for the simple message of the gospel. And, Father, we just right now choose in our heart and with our soul in submission to say, we, be, we are identified with the grace, the power of the gospel, which is grace. Hallelujah. The ability that God gives us to do to, and to receive what you've uh, created for us to receive in Christ. And Lord, we hold fast this confession. Jesus, you are Lord of lords. You are King of kings. You came into this world, Jesus, and we believe that you took upon yourself all of our sin. We believe that you took upon ourselves all the punishment that was due us for the things that we have done. And God, it is finished, as you said. And we identify with that truth this morning. In the name of Jesus, by the Spirit, Jesus, we identify with you. As you cried out on behalf of all humanity, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished, hallelujah, this morning. The battle is won, hallelujah. 
and we confess you as Lord and Savior. We believe in our heart, Jesus, that you, were, that you died and that you were put in the tomb for third, and on the third day you were raised again from the death and you are seated at the right hand of majesty on high. We believe that, God. And, and God, it's not that we say it once, but we hold fast that confession. Jesus is Lord of our lives, of my life. He's Lord. Y'all say that this morning. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Hallelujah. And we just thank you, Father, for the anointing that's being poured out right now, even as we speak, upon the people of your body. Jesus, the anointing to preach the good news, the anointing that is moving from the garment to the feet of your body, Lord God. How beautiful, how lovely are the feet of them that bring good news. Father, we thank you and praise you for that anointing. We say, we respond unto your message. You bid us come. We come, O God, by your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.